0: Today's reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pison. It's wind winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Kate. And uh, good morning, everyone. I'm just going to do something slightly different. I'm wondering whether there's about three or four rows here which are empty at the front. And um, I'm just wondering, for those who might feel free, would you like to perhaps come forward a bit, just so we can have a few less gaps? I can see Steve and Rachel are starting to make the big move, and uh, it's a a good thing. But I'm just wondering whether a few people might like to just, just come a bit closer. You won't get sprayed by me, although perhaps I can't guarantee that, but um, I think that'd be nice. Thank you very much. (coughs) Excellent. Thank you. Um, Before we get into the word, just a couple of things I'd like to share. One is that um, the leadership team here has had on their heart that that prayer is a really important thing. I agree, amen. Prayer is a really important thing, and so we want to institute a regular morning it 's a radical thing a regular morning prayer meeting here at Coroda Park. so this coming tuesday seven a m <laughs> already, I can see some people shaking their heads, but this coming tuesday at seven am we 're going to start a prayer meeting now i 'm going to be here or probably in the foyer actually, but uh, I really encourage folks who feel called to be part of this congregation who would love to come and pray. Some of you may be able to do it on the way to work. I know if some people work down south or whatever it may not be appropriate, but either way there 's an invitation for everyone who would like to to come and meet here seven a m on Tuesday for prayer excellent and uh, <laughs> bring it on that 's right and um, the second thing I'd just like to share is that one of the um, the uh, the families who come to our church um, had a bit of a tragedy during the week, a death in the family. So John and Shireen, who some of you know, their son, Clay, died uh, on during the week from uh, an illness. And uh, a few of us have been in touch with them. And uh, I did say that we would pray for, for John and Shireen. Um, they brought their son home and he was in palliative care for a few weeks. And when I contacted Shireen, she asked for prayer for two things. That their son, Clay, would have a death that didn't involve pain and that the law would enable John and Shireen to get through it. And earlier this week, Clay passed away. So let, if you've got to join me, we're going to pray for that family now. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you and our heart... Is is breaks when you hear the news of someone who has died, and your heart breaks, Father, because death is not the plan that you intended for this world. So, Father, I pray that for for John and Shireen, that at this time, and the wider family there, that they will know your comfort, that they would have a great sense that you're embracing them in your love. We uh, pray that they may have peace. Um, in the midst of this, uh, this difficult time in their family. And I ask, Father, that um, they would be just surrounded by your love, by people who love them and who are supporting them. So we commit them to you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as Hugo mentioned, we're continuing this series on faith and work. And last week um, there was a panel and, uh, with Kendall and Paul and Kelvin and Eleanor, and Joy asked them a number of questions about what it meant for them as a Christian uh, in the workplace. And you know, it's an interesting thing because when we think about work, and as soon as I say that word, certain things go through your mind. Some of you start to immediately think about tomorrow and maybe the challenges that may be ahead of you in work. And when we say work, please don't think I'm just referring and talking about paid work. I'm talking about work in its broadest sense, whether it's paid or unpaid, volunteer work or whatever it might be. But the reality is a lot of us spend a lot of time in the workplace. I used to spend a huge amount of time, probably more time than I should have, and I'll talk about that later. And sometimes there can be a disconnect between what happens on a Sunday and what happens on a Monday. Because the reality is that some of us, we might attend a home group or a growth group, we might attend a prayer meeting on a Tuesday morning at 7am, or we um, we may attend worship here. But the reality is a lot of us spend a huge amount of time at work. And sometimes we have this thing in our mind that, that okay, there's my, there's my Christian world, which I devote to maybe during the week and on a Sunday, but then there's my rest of my life and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking straight away about all the challenges that I've got ahead coming up on Monday. So there can be a disconnect between Sunday and Monday or even a disconnect between Saturday night and Sunday morning. And yet the Bible teaches that that work is not something that we sort of just have to do to pay the bills. But actually there's something more profound about work. And so that reading which Kate read to us um, from Genesis is so really important. And can I just say that creation is a really fundamental thing to understand. Because we are not, and I've said it before, we are not just a product of evolutionary biology. We're not just here because of a combination of time and chance and some occasional cells that have come together. In other words, everything's just a bit meaningless and we've just come together by some amazing fluke. No, no. God has created the world. And God has made us. And creation is really important to understand. And so that's why I asked Kate to read that Genesis account because it actually has a bit to say about work. Dare I say it. So come with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2 because I want to talk very briefly on the origin of work. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 2 verse 2. By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. So work actually gets mentioned in the second book of the Bible, second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter chapter 2. And the Bible says that God had finished his work. So work is not something that human beings have invented. God actually is been the, was the original worker and still is the worker. And God finished his work on the seventh day. And what was the work he'd done? Well, just a small thing of creating the world. And we talk about, some people come home and they say, oh, how was your day? Oh, boy, it was a big day. You wouldn't believe the challenges I had today. Anyone ever said that? Well, if you ever want to talk about a big day, Read about the first six days of creation. That was a big day. (laughs) That was a big day. Makes our days dwarf into insignificance compared to God's days. But God laboured for six days, and you can read it in Genesis chapter um, 1, and he created the world. And on the seventh day, the Bible says he'd finished his work, the work he'd been doing, and he rested. So work actually comes from God. And God is the original worker, the original worker. And yet there's something profound that happens with creation. And I wanted you to have a look at Genesis chapter 1, which should be on the screen, in verse 27. Because as part of the whole creation, the Bible says in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, But the really significant and important thing is that God has created mankind. In other words, God has created you and I in his image. In his image. And so if God is the original worker, dare I say it, folks, whether you realise it or not, and whether you like it or not, if we've been created in the image of God, we have actually been created to work. It's not an optional extra. It's not just for certain people in society to work. We're actually all created in the image of God, and we're, so therefore we are created to work. That's who we're, how we're created to be. So work is actually in our DNA. Now, it doesn't mean that all work is enjoyable. I'll come to that. It doesn't mean that work isn't challenging. But we are created in the image of God. And he's the worker. He's the original worker. And he's still working, by the way. He's still working. It's not as if, sometimes people get the idea that creation, when God did create the world, it's like he wound up this huge clock with this massive spring, you know, winding it up. And set it going, and now it's just sort of ticking down until it runs out. And that picture means that you've got a God who's done something, but he's standing back and he's just letting it run down. That's not what the Bible says. God is not like a celestial watchmaker who's wound up a huge spring. But God is actually active in the world right now. God is active in creation and he's recreating and he's creating all things new. And it's all leading up to a fulfilment of time when the law will come again and restore all things to the way they were meant to be. But we don't worship a God who is just remote, who's watching from a distance, dare I say it. In fact, the Bible says God upholds all things by the word of his power. And so God has created us in his image. And so we are created and naturally structured to work. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have a holiday, don't get me wrong. And it doesn't mean it should necessarily be remunerated in our work, but God, we are structured to work because God is the original worker. We're created in the image of God. And it's interesting that in Genesis 2, the last reading that Kate read to us in verse 15,
2: the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? What was his job? To work it
1: and to take care of it. So the original men and women were created to work, and the man was put in the garden to work it, and it says to take care of it. This is really important because I've, um, I've read in the certain environmentalists, and there's a Canadian environmentalist called David Suzuki, who's getting quite old now, but he, he's written a lot of books and made a lot of good TV programs about about um, about the world and the, and the natural order of things. But he has said that one of the reasons why we have so much pollution in the world and why we have so much difficulty with, with um, the way the environment is now is because Christians, and he blames Christians for this, Christians have taken the... Um, the uh, instruction from the scripture when it talked about in Genesis one about being fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it and uh, Christians have taken that as an excuse and a rationale to basically do what they like with the created order and so he so he 's blaming Christians for the for the environmental um, problems that we have in this world, and yet the Bible actually teaches that we are called to The man was put in the garden to work it and to do what? To take care of it. We're actually called to be stewards of the created order, not to exploit it. So there's no Christian rationale to exploit the world, but rather we are called to actually be stewards and to take care of it. So don't ever think that that we are somehow rather Christians are the problem of um, pollution and, and climate change. Um, In the world, it's not because of what the Bible says, it's actually the opposite. We're actually called to take care of the creation. Just as an aside, and this is not my main topic of my preaching today, but last July, last month, was the hottest month ever recorded in the history of our world, ever recorded. Hugo touched on the thing about climate change. I well, don't want to get into debate about what may cause climate change, but the reality is we have a planet that's in a bit of strife, and as Christians, we're called to take care of it, take care of it. So God is the original worker. We're created in the image of God. We're created to work. We're created to take care of the creation. But something happens. Something happens. Come with me to the book of Genesis chapter three. because work has been corrupted. Work has been corrupted. Genesis chapter three. There's, I haven't got the time to go into what, all that's happened in Genesis 3. However, men and women, were, men and women were placed in the Garden of Eden. The Lord said, "Don't eat of, you can eat of all the trees, but don't eat of a tree of a knowledge of good and evil." The serpent deceives Eve, she eats the fruit, she then gives some to her husband Adam, he eats the fruit, and then there's a major problem. The theologians call this the fall, human race has rebelled against God, but this is the consequence, the consequence of the fall, and it affects work. So in verse 17, after that's happened, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife, I won't go into that because there's a line there, but I won't go into it. almost did, but I won't. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Anyone who's a gardener knows that we have challenges with thorns and thistles it will produce and we have thorns and thistles in our life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are to you are and to dust you shall return so so work in its original intention got corrupted by the fall, by the disobedience. And there was a consequence to that. And so work can become hard. Work can become difficult. And I, I, I read this excellent book by one of the heroes of mine, Tim Keller, and he described the three Ds. Work has become difficult, work can become distorted, and work can become disillusioning. Disillusioning. Firstly, work can become difficult. In other words, there are thorns and thistles in life. And many of you could be in a, may well be in a workplace right now or have been in a workplace where there are lots of thorns and thistles, if you know what I mean. Challenges with people and systems and procedures. And work can be hard and difficult. And it's a consequence of the, of the fall of mankind. And that's what we're in. That's what we've inherited. Work can be difficult. So I don't want to underestimate that. And some of you may think, well, you don't know what sort of work I'm doing, Mark. You don't know the drudgery. You don't know that I'm just dreading Monday. I'm dreading Monday. I don't really want to get up and face Monday because it's such a tough time. And the sort of work I'm doing is so challenging or it could be so boring or, 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 or lack of um, fulfilment that you don't appreciate it. Work can be difficult. Don't get me wrong. Work can be difficult. The other D about work is it can be distorted. And there's two errors here. One is that you say, "Our oh, work's no big deal. I'm just, you know, just going to try and find a job because really I've just got to pay the bills. You know, that's, Work is just a means to an end of trying to have a lovely lifestyle where I can accumulate things and plan for lovely trips and, and go on exciting adventures and have a flash car and um, a six- how big is that TV screen we've got out there? 80, 85. We've got an 85-inch TV screen out there. A couple of years ago, you know, everyone got excited for a 65-inch TV screen. Makes the one at the back there look like a 2-inch TV screen. But you, know, you can think, oh, well, I've got to try and accumulate. I've got to work so I can get some money so I can buy an 85-inch TV screen. So, that, So... You can see that work is just a means to try and accumulate stuff and have a good time. But the other danger is that work can actually be too big a deal. And it actually consumes us and we become, dare I say it, workaholics. And our whole
2: identity is bound up in our job.
1: The problem with that is, what if your job changes? Let me just share something about this. I was, um, for 36 years, I worked for a particular employer, a state government department, and I ended up being a senior executive in this department. And uh, I could see myself in my career, I, I was... That stage, I've been there for thirty-six years, so I was starting to get on a bit. And I worked out, well, I would see my days out, and you know, I could just see a, a trajectory, and it was all going to be lovely and comfortable and predictable and wonderful. Circumstances changed, and uh, a new chief executive came in and decided that all the senior executive had to go. And he said to me, "I'll keep you on, Mark, because you know, I think I've got something." And he put me onto a special project. Now, if you've ever get given a special project, you end up being out here somewhere working on a special project. And after a year, he said, oh, look, Mark, there's just no future for you in this organisation. So, you know, you've got to go. Now, I've got to tell you, for me, that was an absolute, oh, I can only describe it this way, an absolute kick in the guts And some of you have been in a circumstance, I know, where you've been retrenched, where you've been told that you're no longer required, and it can be brutal. There's no easy way of doing it, really, but it can be brutal. And if your identity as a human being is bound up just in your work and your identity is what you do as a job, and yet that suddenly gets ripped out from underneath you, well, where do you go then? So work can become too big a deal. And for me, I was almost numb for a while. And, uh, and if my identity had simply been in that, I don't know where I would have gone. But my identity was not just in my job, but my identity primarily is that I'm a child of God. And that my heavenly father is going to look after me. And things opened up. And uh, I won't go into all the detail, but I was in a state of numbness and I st- my phone started to ring because it got out in the media that I was going. And um, a and, uh, person said, oh, Can I, can I uh, meet you with a cup of coffee, Mark? And I said, well, I'm not ruling anything out or in. I'm just, you know. So I met with this bloke and he, and he um, a consulting company, and he said to me, Oh, look, we'd, we'd like to offer you some work. And I thought, Only three days a week. And I thought, oh, yeah. And then he said, We'd like you to pay you this, and he told me a figure. And he said, What do you think of that? And I thought about it for about three seconds and I said, It sounds pretty good. <laughs> and then for another six years I worked in that particular consulting world, and then I felt the Lord close that door and I become a pastor. Which is a <laughs> but I say all that because at the time it was brutal. It was brutal. And if, if, if work is everything for us, if our whole identity is just bound up in what we do, and people love to say, well, what do you do? You know, it's, it becomes the status, doesn't it? What do you do? You know? And if it's all bound up in just in that and that collapses, well, what's left? So work can become too big, big a deal. And the last D about it is that work can be disillusioning in the sense that sometimes we think, well, is this all there is? There's got to be something more. I'm working eighty days a week, you know, and there must be something more to it. I don't see my family. I get home late at night, you know. I miss all these key events in my children's lives. There's got to be more to it. And so, the, so work has become corrupted by the fall. And we need to understand as Christians what is our role with work.
2: So let come with me. To 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because Paul had a bit to say to this. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth
1: Nevertheless, Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. I'll just leave it there. I'll read it again. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them. And I want to say this because it's been something for years and years that I felt strongly is that quite often pastors and preachers will talk about God's call and they'll say, Well, God met me and He called me and He called me into the ministry. You know, something happened, circumstances changed, I got retrenched or whatever it might be, and God has now called me into the life of Christian service or whatever it is. Can I tell you? that God's call is not just restricted to professional Christian workers. Right? We get this idea that you know, we work and then on, we earn money so we can give to the church and so on Sunday we turn up and we worship and we have some fellowship and then on Monday we go back into the workforce. But no, God's call is not just to be professional Christians. <laughs> God is calling each one of us to follow him primarily, but secondly, to understand what is the vocation or the plan that God has for our lives. We, we have this idea sometimes that we have this distinction between the secular and the spiritual or the sacred, and we make it up in our heads. Growth groups, 7 o'clock Tuesday morning Bible study, uh, prayer times. Worship, that's the, that's the spiritual part of our lives, but there's this massive part, which is the secular. No, no, there's not a distinction between the secular and the spiritual. Right? And that was the wonderful sharing that was held last week when Joy was asking those questions. You got the sense that people had integrated their faith with their work. But we are actually called. And God calls us into occupations. Not just to be a professional Christian. But Paul says, whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And that's why I don't really like the phrase a job. A far better phrase is a vocation. Because the word vocation is, it comes from a Latin word, which actually means to call we have we talk about vet vocational education training and but, but when you read that it's really just talking about people who um are, are learning to have some sort of trade but 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 no what the Bible is really talking about is not just having a job but actually responding to god's calling and do you know when i was a young engineer people used to say to me well how come if you preach on a Sunday, why aren't you a minister? And I said, well, because I believe God has called me to be an engineer. And for, 30, for 42 years, that's what I did. Gave it a fair shot. Um, <laughs> but but, but that, that calling as an engineer or a school teacher or a business owner or a nurse or an occupational therapist or, or a sole trader who does training or a student, that calling is just as legitimate and just as important as being a pastor or a teacher. Because we're all called, you see. We're all called to work because God is the original worker and we're made in the image of God and so therefore we reflect his image and we're called to work but we respond to that by listening to God's call in the workplace. And you know, I wish someone had told me that when I was about 22 years old because for a long time I felt slightly inferior because I was an engineer and yet I was a preacher and people said, well, come on, Mark, you should be a pastor. But the calling of, to be an engineer is just as legitimate and just as important, amen? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? This is really important because work. we spend so much time in the workplace that we should be responding to
2: God's call. So vocation is what I believe is at the heart of this.
1: Now, we're in a lovely situation in Australia where a lot of us can have a choice about what sort of vocation or what sort of job we do. There are many countries and many cultures where you can't. There's no choice. But we are blessed that we have a choice. And so the question should be, folks, not What will make the most money and give me the most status? That shouldn't be the question which drives Christians when it comes to a vocation. But rather, how will my abilities and opportunities, how can they be of greatest service to other people? That should be the question. I hear so many um, young adults who... um, and maybe because we've got so many choices now. But they say, oh, I've got no idea what I should do. So they go from one thing to another thing to another thing. And, and then when they do get to something, I, my daughter, I was talking to one of my daughter's friends when they'd been working. They were about 25 years old. Now, maybe this is a generational thing, so excuse me for that. But I was talking to this bloke, a friend of my daughter's, and he said um, he'd been working for three years in full-time employment. And you said to me, oh, look, I'm thinking of getting a bit of a work-life balance. I've been going for three years. And um, so I'm thinking of cutting back. Yeah. I said, cutting back? I said, you're 25. You he said, oh, yeah, but, you know. Now that could be me standing slightly older, which is true. But we need, we need to be asking the Lord as Christians, what is it, Lord, that you're calling me to do? not just to fall into something and not just to seek after something which pays the biggest bucks and gives the biggest status, but how can we serve God and serve other people? That should be the primary question that should go before us when it comes to work. Jesus had a, um, a summary of the commandments and in Mark chapter 12, we read this. when A teacher said to Jesus, what are the two most important commandments? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with your strength. First big commandment. Second one is, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbour. Well, folks, what does that mean in practice? How do you love God and love your neighbour? Well, one of the most significant ways is by the work we do. Because if we're called by God into a particular occupation, And we're serving God, but we're also serving other people. So whether it be, and I can't help but looking, I'm looking around and seeing different occupations in the room, and uh, I can see at the back there that there's someone who recently came to my house and got rid of a whole lot of bamboo. I was very appreciative of it. Assisted by Hugo. But um, Mr. Jim came to my house, and uh, that was serving me. And in the work you do there... You're serving God and you're serving other people. That's what you're doing in your job. That's how we're fulfilling the commandments, loving God and loving other people. By finding out what God wants you to do with your life, serving him and serving others. So finally, I'm covering a lot of territory here, but the question comes up, well, okay, how should I work? What is the attitude we should have as a Christian? And someone quoted it last week. Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Just, sorry, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So I'm absolutely convinced that as Christians, we should be aiming for excellence in our work. Not just making do not just watching the clock, hoping that knock-off time will get there soon, or smoke-o-break, or no one has smoke breaks anymore, but you know breaks in the, in the, for your work routine. We shouldn't be clock watchers. <laughs> we should be working with all our heart. It's working for the Lord. That's what we're called to do. So can I just say that if you're in a work environment right now and you just sense that it's a drudgery, and that you're just marking time, well, can I suggest that maybe you need to pray and ask the Lord to show you what is the right vocation for you. Don't spend 30 years of your life doing something that you regret doing. There's too much at stake here. We're called to love God and love other people. We need to find out what God is calling us to do and do it with all our heart. Amen? Because we spend so much of our time in this situation. So much time. Let me just close with one little story. When I, I got transferred up to Port Augusta, so I took Joy and the kids up to Port Augusta and I became a regional manager of this large department. And we were going through a downsizing situation. I inherited this. And the first time I met a number of work crews in the remote areas of South Australia was to tell them that their job was no longer there. So I, you know, I felt like the grim reaper. I'd be going along, I'd drive up for three hours, Go to a work group Introduce myself And say Oh by the way I didn't quite say it like this But I said you yeah, know, We're going to have to look at um, Alternatives here And people would just hang on Every word Listening to you Because So Identity is so locked into our work And I thought Well how as a Christian Can I sort of deal with this situation Because I really couldn't Alter the fact that There was this downsizing going on And so the previous regional manager before me had really done some wonderful things in connecting up different remote work crews with industrial chaplains. And so I made sure that this industrial chaplain was, in every, an industrial chaplain was at every meeting I went to so that they could hear what I was saying. Because I knew that when I got in the car and drove back three or four hours to Port Augusta, those people were left trying to work out what it all meant. And so the least I I could do, I thought, in a pastoral sense, was to make sure that the industrial chaplain heard exactly what I was saying and so that he could actually get alongside these people and help them out. And and it was a brutal environment to do it, but we had very little casualties, fortunately, and people would manage to get redeployed or, or find other things. But as a Christian, I was asking the Lord, what should I do in that environment? What can you do? Well, I need, to, I need to work as if I was working for the Lord because that's what he called me to do. And whatever circumstances you're in, whether it's paid work or unpaid work, we need to be asking the Lord two things. Lord, what is it you're calling me into? What is my vocation? What is it that will match my passions and gifts and abilities with the opportunities that are there? What is it that you're calling me to do? And how should I operate in a day-to-day sense as a believer? Loving God... And loving other people. So, work is really important. And we're called to work because God is the original worker. Now, this sort of message can either give you some great hope or you think, well, heck, you know, you don't know what my work's like. Well, I don't. But God does. And he wants us to live fulfilling, meaningful lives, loving him and loving other people. So maybe God's stirring something up in your heart. Well, maybe you've just left the paid workforce and you're thinking, well, what's next? There's only so many overseas holidays you can do. Well, actually, probably. No, there is probably only so many. But what's next? What am I called to do? Well, I don't believe we're just called to mark time but to love God and to love other people. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, you know the condition and our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that you might speak into our hearts. And Lord, if you're calling us into some other vocation, I pray, Lord, that we might respond to that prompting. Or if, or if you're calling us to, to serve you in a fresh and vital way in the workplace where we are, Lord, maybe we open our hearts and receive fresh wisdom and insight from you. But Lord, we open ourselves up to you. Touch our hearts, I pray, dear Lord. Speak into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.